Look around at this great city of ours. What do you see? I see a multitude of amazing people. Over the next hour, Bill Wilson and Michael Lynn White will talk to some of these amazing people about topics that interest you and give you just what you need to kick off your week with a dang on the Mr. Murfreesboro Show. Good evening, Murfreesboro. Welcome to the Mr. Murfreesboro Show right here on WGNS Radio. We are live from the studio in the heart of downtown Murfreesboro. I'm your host, Michael Lynn White, along with Mr. Murfreesboro himself, Bill Wilson. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, Bill, here we are. What's happening, Murfreesboro? What's up? Y'all, you can reach us tonight by calling in at 615-893-1450. You can also head on over to the WGNS Facebook page or Mr. Murfreesboro's page. Chat with us there. You can also listen to us online at WGNS.com. Okay, so let's get right into this. Thank you, Terry. We <laughs> maybe later in the show we'll tell everybody why we call each other Terry. Back that up, Terry. Back it up, Terry. Okay, Bill. How long? We've known each other what two years now, and no, over three years. Oh, I'm sorry. And the way we met, I'll just give you some background. Michael Lynn and I met at a Madeline Scales Harris event. Who's uh, Madeline is a uh, city, the vice mayor of Murfreesboro. Yeah. And we've been uh, Michael Lynn. I've been friends since then. And I want to thank um, some people before I, I get started. I want to thank Meredith Thomas. Love you, Mayor. Yeah, thank you. Love you, Mayor. I know you're listening. And her parents, Dickie and Peggy Thomas. My mother, <coughs> Carolyn Wilson. Carolyn. My son, uh, William. And the rest of my family and friends. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And uh, I want to say happy d- birthday to my sister-in-law, Mary Wilson, I don't know how you put up with my brother Mitch, but happy birthday. Uh, so, we're excited tonight, because if you know me, I love history. Yep. More importantly, I love Murfreesboro history, and I love Civil War history. But more importantly, I love Murfreesboro Civil War history. And we've got this cat sitting next to me who is the chief park ranger who I kind of idolize. I know he gets tired of me texting him all the time. <laughs> you know, we're, what, 160-something years later, and uh, there's there are still people who think we're still in a civil war in certain areas around here, right? Uh, this is Jim Lewis, by the way. Yeah, let's yeah, introduce our guest. our guest here. Jim, bless you. Thank you for coming on here and dealing pleasure. with our shenanigans bless your heart. on our first ever show. Mm-hmm. We are so excited yeah. to have you here. And you'll forgive me because Bill, he might not remember what I told him five minutes ago, but he can remember dates and he really does love Murfreesboro <laughs> and Murfreesboro history. So he is very excited that you're here. And yes. so am I. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks All for right. having me on. Yes. Be the first one. I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is. We, we're excited. So uh, tell us just a little bit uh, about yourself. Like, how long, what brought you to Murfreesboro, number one? Well, it, honestly, the Civil War did. I mean, I've, uh, uh, I was working in the National Park Service before I came here. Um, and uh, actually, we'll be reaching my 30 year anniversary at the end of June. Um, 
And that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, you know, I, I started at Edison National Historic Site in West Orange, New Jersey, um, working oh, law Yankee. enforcement. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the, we have electric lights in here, so you should be happy about that. That's right. Yes, um, yes. I just watched a show about that, so <laughs> hey. But um, kind of while I was in the Park Service, I actually sort of discovered the love of the Civil War, um, decided that I wanted to find a place to do that, which pretty much meant moving south. Uh, and uh, so a position opened up in 1997 at Stones River National Battlefield, and I moved here um, and have been here ever since, so almost 24 years. How big was the battlefield when you moved here in 97? Um, Did, it wasn't a whole lot smaller than it is now. The battlefield had already grown almost to its fullest extent, which is just a little bit um uh, our authorized boundaries was a little bit over 700 acres, and we own about 680 of that now. Right. It was probably like 660 when I got here. So it, we haven't increased a great deal in size in my time here. Working on getting that GE property. Well, we're really happy that the the uh, American Battlefield Trust has preserved the property for sure. That's good. Um, it is currently outside of our authorized boundaries, so there are a lot of moving parts about you know to to make it part of the battle the park right would require uh, legislation to, right. to change our boundary uh but we are certainly um you know looking at all the potential options of long-term management of that property but yeah i mean i would have never told you when i got here 24 years ago when there was still a functional factory on that property um i worked there by the way really like um, 30 something years ago <laughs> You know, that that would be, you know, here we sit and we're like, yep, nobody's going to lay a finger on it. That, you know, right. now it, you know, it is a spot where you can at least, you know, look at it. And I mean, the good thing now that the factory's gone, it is just a big old grassy field, just like it was back in the time That's of the right. Civil War. Exactly. So. <laughs> Jim, I'm a little disappointed you didn't wear your uh, park ranger uniform with I'm your hat and your that. badge. And I thought can, he can was you carry to. a gun? Do you, are you, what? Not do anymore. A, do you have I, arresting powers? I, I was a law enforcement officer, <laughs> but I dropped my commission when I became the chief of interpretation when I got my most recent promotion. So I, I used to be a, I used to carry, and and be a commissioned officer in the park, but I'm, I'm have a different job now. Before so. you, it was Gibb, right? Was it Gibb that was the partner? Gibb and Betty Cook and Betty Cook, um, right? And my, then Teresa Watson partner. worked there too. Yep, our administrative officer. Yeah, they they all. They all kind of adopted me when I came in. I was the new kid in town. And now I turn around 24 years later, and I'm the old salty dog now. I'm not sure how that happened. It's yeah, just you. It's so funny. <laughs> I really did think that. I didn't almost didn't recognize you because every time I've seen you, you've got your hat on, and you're just in normal the, clothes. You can see What's why I wear my hat, right? I see. I see I thought, it. I, I thought like that it. was Mr. Clean for a minute. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I tell you what, um, we're going to get into the – we're going to get into the uh, the real nuts and bolts of why we're here, and we're going to talk about the Battle of Murfreesboro, the significance of it. We may talk about uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, mm -hmm. and you're the expert on this. And really, again, I want to thank you for coming in mm -hmm. and being our first guest. And we're going to go to uh, a break right now and listen to our sponsors. <laughs>
Grand Slam Collectibles is your place in Murfreesboro to buy, sell, and trade sports cards, collectibles, and memorabilia. Head over to their website only at GrandSlam.com. They're located at 1254 Northwest Broad Street. You can also reach them by phone at 615-809-2362 or become one of their over 30,000 followers on Facebook at Grand Slam Collectibles 615. Has your home experienced storm damage, or do you just need a remodel? Oakstone Builders LLC is your answer. They also build custom homes. You can find them at 3173 South Church Street here in Murfreesboro or call 931-488-5967. That's 931-488-5967. provides professional closing services with their decades of experience in all types of real estate transactions. They can adapt to any situation and handle it with ease. They will be responsible for safeguarding and properly distributing all transaction funds and documents. When it comes to property rights, Regal Title will provide peace of mind that every customer deserves. You can find them at 316 West Main Street here in Murfreesboro or online at regaltitlellc.com or by phone at 615-295-8042. Hey, it's Bill. Did you know I also sell for Parks Real Estate? Meredith Thomas and I make up the Thomas Wilson team. We have over 25 years of real estate experience and have helped nearly 1,000 families buy and sell real estate here in Murfreesboro, Rutherford County, and Middle Tennessee. Why not choose us to help you and your family with all your real estate needs? Give us a call at 615-406-5872 or 615-896-4040. Or you can follow me at Mr. Murfreesboro on Facebook or Instagram. Have you ever seen an acoustic guitar being built? At Gallagher Guitar Company in downtown Murfreesboro, we have trained luthiers who are building some of the finest guitars in the world. You can schedule a tour of the shop and visit our showroom on Saturdays or by appointment. Also, look for live music at our Walnut Street location on Friday and Saturdays, as well as the Old Time Music Jam every second and fourth Thursday at 6. Come check it out. We are back at the Mr. Murfreesboro Show. I'm Michael Lynn White with Bill Wilson and our guest, Jim Lewis. Okay, let's get into it. And I think we have a caller. So, Producer Dalton. DB. Hey, Jeff, you're on the air. Hey, how you doing? How you doing, Mr. Wilson? Hey, Jeff. Hello, Thanks Jeff. for calling in. I, I just want to tell you, Ms. Wilson, I miss you. I had Oakland's partner. I had some of that vintage baseball. Vintage baseball, yes, which was, and Jim can attest to this. Uh, vintage baseball, they played by the rules of 1864, and supposedly the soldiers would be fighting against each other, and it's sometimes before a battle, or maybe, well, before they went to, to battle, they would play baseball. Bill? Well, they would, I mean, oftentimes within an army, they would. I don't know of any accounts of like confederates playing yankees um but <laughs> i'm gonna um, track that down now, we're the interesting thing is though the, you know, the vintage baseball uh, we're gonna have its precursor uh at stones river national battlefield on um, labor day uh weekend we're gonna have a fella come out and uh, run cricket games cricket which, which was actually cricket on. was probably more popular in the united states 
when the Civil War broke out than baseball was. Those Brits brought it over here. <laughs> I've never yeah. played cricket. We need yeah. to do that instead of the old-time baseball. We need to do the cricket. Yeah. So, Bill, yeah. we'll get out there. We'll play cricket. I, I, I was going to ask. I was going to ask the guy at the battlefield. Do you, Jim. Um, do you feel like Jim? Do you feel like um? I, I know you've seen the the documentary Ken Burns did about I guess did about twenty five years ago. But there was one recently. I think it was last year um, on on U.S. Grant, and there were a lot of things that I I, I learned about him. I didn't know. Okay, he grew up, and and mm-hmm. of course he went to the went to the uh, went to West Point and things like that. Do you think that those things? Um, kind of, uh, uh, I have to ask you this with me. Do you think those things kind of, people have more interest in the Civil War now because of those things? And I'll just hang up and listen. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. And I would say definitely yes, because anytime you can humanize somebody, um, tell more of their backstory. I mean, because a lot of our folk, you know, a lot of the people that we read about, you know, hear about in the Civil War, your Lees, your Grants, you know, they have this whole aura built around them that is, you know, kind of accreted over over time, and they, you know, they're our heroes, right? So, right. and we see them in a different little light. I, I always like to, I like to know all the, the, the little backstories, the warts, the right. mistakes, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah, I mean, that makes them people, just like the rest of us. And guess what? They were. They just happened to be at the right place at the right time with the right tools to make a. A, a big splash right. in, 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 in history. So Grant had a hard time later in life after he was president. Oh, yeah. He sold his memoirs he, because he had, he was His broke. life was a roller coaster. There's no doubt about that. He was up he and down, up and down. cancer, yeah. and he smoked mm-hmm. uh, cigars or chewed on a cigar. Yeah. But he's really, after the war, he the uh, Reconstruction, he's the one that sent troops in to, make, to keep yeah, I mean, he becomes president post Civil War, so right. he's you know well, post Andrew Johnson, of course, um, you know, so he's going to be dealing with the repercussions of Reconstruction and what goes right and what goes wrong, and right, um, yeah. So um, I I do believe that you know to answer the caller's question though that you know, you know anytime you can bring the light more of just what these 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 you know icons of history are as people it, it's it's a it's good for all of us i agree so let's get into the battle of murfreesboro okay yes. why was it necessary let's let's just okay. go ahead and tell us well i mean like i do at the battlefield i mean you know you basically have to answer two big questions why here and why at the time because you know I don't think anybody in their right mind thinks December would be a good time for a Civil War army to be fighting. Um, December of 1862 yeah, uh, through January of 63. So the place is chosen by the Confederates. Braxton Bragg, the Confederate commander, will come here to Murfreesboro because of its central location right. in Tennessee, sitting astride the Nashville-Chattanooga Railroad because his main one of his main goals is to keep Chattanooga in Confederate hands because of that rail junction is sure. so important. Um, he's got a good road network here in Murfreesboro, which will allow him to kind of move to deal with whatever the Union Army throws its way. It's sitting in Nashville now under its new commander, William S. Rosecrans. Um, and also being here in Middle Tennessee is perfect as far as his supply situation goes, because this is where most of the food that his army is eating is coming from. Right. And so he doesn't even need wagons. You can just basically point to a farm and say, go clean that out. Mm-hmm. Corn, um, yeah, hogs, yeah, cattle. Uh, so... You know, that's why they're here. That's why Murfreesboro, this little town of, you know, about 3,000 people, becomes this huge bullseye um, 
timing though is all on the union side and really not rosecrans the union army commander i'm sure he would have rather fought in april um, but president abraham lincoln has pushed all of his army commanders at the end of the year of 1862 to go out and seek a fight and that will result in the busiest December of the Civil War. I mean, you know, it's not just the Battle of Stones River, which ends the year. Right. But before that is the Battle of Chickasaw Bayou outside of Vicksburg. That's Grant's army. Um, and then there's the Battle of Fredericksburg. So they were at Vicksburg in, and then worked their way up. That's where the... They're, they're the, trying to work down the Vicksburg. Right. But um, So basically all three major Union armies pick a fight in December of 1862 because Lincoln wants one of them at least all of them at best to get him military success to back up the Emancipation Proclamation which had just gone into effect well it would go into effect on January 1st it had been issued the preliminary proclamation came out after the Battle of Antietam and then a hundred days later it would become you know that's freeing the slaves well Yes, it basically puts slavery in the chopping block. I mean, you can spend this entire segment talking about what the Emancipation Proclamation does or does not do vis-a-vis freeing slaves. But in fact, it doesn't technically free any of them. But it puts slavery out there as essentially if the war ends and the Union wins, slavery ends with it. Right. And so, um, you know, Lincoln will follow that up with the 13th Amendment, which will literally in our Constitution make it illegal to have slavery but right this is the first shot the battle of murphy changes Rome. the whole dynamic if this battle ends up as a victory then it ends up supporting and of course it does right so this ends up being because those other two battles are disasters for the union so you know lincoln could have ended the year with three straight losses and who knows what that means who was the head was it george was it thomas that was the or Meade? who was his head general during the battle, of Mur- right before the battle of Murfreesboro, was it Thomas? The general in chief, you mean? Yeah, the ch- is Henry Halleck actually, uh, you know, kind but, of a what people would call a paper pusher. Uh, he was the general in chief, like our the equivalent of today's you know chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Right. Um, that would be Henry Halleck. Uh, he had taken taken over uh, when George McClellan was you know taken out of that role. Let go. Later, Grant would become that person, but. Uh, you know, here it was on the Union side. It's Rosecrans. George Thomas is actually underneath him as a corps commander. Right. That's um, who I was thinking of. But where does the battle start? Where are, where's the Union Army? December 29th of 1862, December 30th. Okay. The day before the battle. Where oh, is the 29th, Union Army? part of the Union Army is actually almost at Murfreesboro. They are re- reach a spot that you can see along the Stones River Greenway. There's a little exhibit there. Uh, there's a, like a little riprap, and then you can see the golf course across the other side from right. the Greenway. And it's called Harker's Crossing because actually... At Stones a, River Country yeah, Club. Yeah. yeah, a third of the Union Army uh, arrives here, Thomas Crittenden's left wing, ahead of the other the rest of the army and pushes across the river and nearly brings on the battle of stones river a couple days early, which would have been disastrous because that would have been one third of the union army against the entire Confederate army. Let's back up a second. How Mm -hmm. many union soldiers, how many Confederates all told when they all get up here together, uh, there's about 38,000 Confederates, about 43,000 union soldiers. So altogether 81,000 men. So, 81,000. Yeah. And, and Murfreesboro has a population, I've heard, 1,500 to 3,500. So 
and I've, I've talked about this before, so you can fit, add the 3,500, there's 85,000 people for about a week, the end of 62, the beginning of 63, that are camped out all over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, throughout the Nashville county. has a population of 17,000 in 62. Yeah. Atlanta has 20,000. Yeah. So we're bigger than them combined at that time. So if you woke up in, eight, you know, in 1862, there's 80,000 people yeah, out there. And there were 38,000 of them here so, in Murfreesboro from October onwards. So I mean, war's in the air. <laughs> They're getting ready to go to battle. And uh, where are the Confederates before? Where are they before Stones River? Are they, I've heard they were in Miss, uh, Vicksburg or where... Where do they These Confederates basically uh-huh. arrive in Murfreesboro circuitously. They After the Battle of Perryville and the failure of the Kentucky campaign, they fall back into Tennessee down to Chattanooga and then come back up here to Murfreesboro. So um, because, again, Bragg decides he's not going to make his stand at Chattanooga. He's actually going to make, you know, he wants to fight the enemy here in Middle Tennessee. This gives him the flatland here is a much better place to conduct operations. But the end of December, the weather's not too good. What was the weather like? Um, Well, it it rained three out of the four days preceding the battle when the Union Army is marching from Nashville to Murfreesboro, which does slow them down a great deal, which, of course, means all the fields are mud. Mm -hmm. You know, it's cold. Uh, We know that it gets cold because some of the accounts talk about having the chip wounded soldiers out of being frozen in the mud. Right. I mean, that tells you how cold it gets overnight. Um, It's miserable, miserable conditions. which we apparently try to recreate every time we do an anniversary program at our battlefield, it seems like. But, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, uh, there are days where I wish, oh, why couldn't we have had a May battle? Um, You know, (laughs) right? certainly would have been a whole lot nicer. But um, that's awful selfish. I'm just kidding. uh, Well, you know, like our 150th anniversary, we actually have weather colder than the Battle was of Stones really? River. So, yes. What, yeah. what did what was this? What did a soldier look like as far as what did they eat? Uh, were they well equipped? I mean, both armies actually here in 1862 are in pretty good shape. In fact, there are units in the Confederate Army that are receiving a new set of uniforms as we approach the campaign. Uh, again, they're sitting on top of their main supply base so food is not a huge issue for them um, the union has a good supply line that is running down from cincinnati and louisville kentucky although john hunt morgan will show how vulnerable the rail part of that supply line is by you know collapsing the tunnel at gallatin and actually put a pretty big kink in building up supplies for the union army when they start this campaign they barely have enough to keep going for about a week and did you know, mosby ever come around here uh, Mosby and his range. No, he's out in Virginia. He's a, he was yeah. a gorilla. Mm-hmm. Jim, what well, I want to know is what Murfreesboro was so small at the time. What were all the residents doing when all these troops are coming into <laughs> their little question, town? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, some of them are happy because some of them, I mean, you know, the, there are mem- you know there are hundreds of young men that left this area to go off and fight, and this is the first time they're back. They're back home. Uh, and it's Christmas time, too, I might add. Because, again, the Confederates are here from October until the battle so there's a, a time here where you know some i'm sure are pleased many are you know trying to make sure that they you know when when somebody comes to take food for the army or the horses or whatever that there's still enough left over for them to survive the rest of the winter because armies are like locusts and it doesn't matter what right uniform they're wearing no, I mean, 38,000 yeah. men are going to put a huge strain on 
you know, the, the resources of this area. So that's, you know, got to be bad. I mean, you know, but I think overall, you know, reading the, you know, some of the, you know, we don't have a whole lot of accounts from civilians, but what we do seems to be generally, they'll put up with the inconveniences knowing, you know, that, you know, that their boys are home, you know, at least those ones that are. I don't think they really have much inkling, though, and I guess that doesn't really come to fruition until, you know, the messengers begin to arrive, like a, you know, there's a story of, you know, there's, you know, Christmas ball or, you know, party going on, you know, the day after Christmas, and, you know, messengers come and tell General Bragg that the Union Army's on the move, and it's like, all of a sudden, they start probably scratching their heads and go, oh, wait, if the Confederate Army's here, guess where the Union Army's coming? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you got to think about that, too. And I'm sure that was on people's minds as well. So, I mean, it's it's as, you know, for any civilian population caught in the in the crosshairs of two opposing armies, I mean, they just got to roll with the punches. Mm-hmm. But it actually started on As Asbury. Was that or Grisham? Grisham Lane down Grisham there Lane. for folks, you know, for our folks in Murfreesboro down by the Mapco station. Uh, where <laughs> give Grisham us a play is. by play. It starts there, mm-hmm. and the Confederates are where? Well, the Confederates would be just across Highway 96 if we're standing in the parking lot there. If you're looking across uh, Highway 96, uh, the Union, the two lines basically run from the Stones River southwards, generally for about three miles. Um, the Confederates, well, both armies, both commanders basically decide they're going to attack their enemy's right and get in behind him and cut off his supply line and retreat route. For Rosecrans, that would mean crossing the Stones River and sweeping into Murfreesboro. For Bragg, that means putting a big chunk of his forces on the left and have them kind of swing like a door into the right flank of the Union Army. His plan is elegantly simple, so he gets to start first. Right. Uh, and his men come forward at dawn. He, they catch the Union guys still making their breakfast and boiling their coffee. Within the first hour of fighting, you know, almost the entire um, right wing of the Union Army has been put to flight. And the Confederates are, it seems like the Confederates are on their way. Uh, but then they begin to, and again, they're slogging through the mud. They're hitting wood lines. You know, bits and pieces of the Union Army will start putting up some resistance and things will start to grind and get a little slower and get a little slower. By the time they get up to the Wilkinson Pike, you know, they're kind of still swinging like a door. You know, there, Union resistance will get very tight in the area that's kind of in the southern part of the park today, you know, in those rocks and trees that, you know, become known later as the slaughter pen. You know, there, the Union forces there under Phil Sheridan and James Negley will basically stall about half the Confederate Army for two hours. Is that named after Fort Negley? And, and well, Fort Negley is named after, after James him. Negley, yeah, yes, because right. he was a command. He, he was in command of the post of Nashville when the fort began, and so right. that's why they named that after him. That's actually a pretty cool place. I didn't even know it existed, and I was driving mm. in Nashville randomly one day, and I said, what is this? And anyway, then I started learning uh, about it. I think a lot that. of people have, especially since they did all the clearing, because yes. I remember when I first got here, I mean, you wouldn't even known it was up there with all the the tree cover and you know privet and everything else but they did a couple years back they did a massive clearing of the fort so now you know when you're riding around the road you look up and there it is you can actually see the fort you know it's really interesting it gives you a sense what people would have thought 
living around there back then. There it is, looming like Fortress Rosecrans here, you know, that's built after the battle. I mean, you look on the outskirts of Murfreesboro and there's this monstrosity bristling with guns yes. reminding you every single day that you are under Union occupation. That is probably scary. Jim, can I read something to you from one of our Facebook viewers that mm -hmm. I'd like for you to comment on? Melanie Proctor Waybert says, when I lived on the Horde farm in 1970, they were still getting a payment from the federal government to pay for all they lost during the battle. That kind of goes along with what we were saying. What really? the residents wow. were doing. Reparations. Really well, the Hordes were a unionist family, and they offered their home as it became the main field hospital for the Union Army. Um, uh, so it doesn't surprise me that they did gain recompense. I didn't realize they were still, you know, because the Southern Claims Commission was was uh, wound down in the early 20th century. Because we do a program about Holly McFadden, who McFadden owned the Ford. McFadden farm, uh, for which the Ford is named. I mean, she's a widow. Her husband died in the 1840s. Um, raising her family, farm, yeah. running the farm on her own. She's a tough nut. She's a tough um, nut. And, you know, she also lays claim, and we actually have a copy of her claim, you know, what she, you know, how many fence rails she lost, how many hogs, how many, you know. Oh, wow. And she never got paid because one of her adult sons, not one that was living at home, but one of her adult sons served in the Confederate Army. And they didn't. And no single person who had somebody serving in the Confederate Army would ever get money from the U.S. government. Wow. Um, That's wild. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, didn't stop her, though. She submitted a claim every year, and then after <laughs> she died, her daughter, also named Holly, continued to send send in the, the, the paperwork until Congress finally shut the program down. Are wow. you serious? So I, I like to say it took an act of Congress to stop Holly McFadden. Right. I love it. And, you know, for someone like me, Bill over here knows literally everything. Obviously, I grew up learning about li all this stuff about the Battle of Murfreesboro. But for our listeners that don't know a whole lot about the history of Murfreesboro. We have people coming, moving to Murfreesboro every single day. Mm -hmm. It's fast growing. So, you know, this is good for them to know about, oh, why do we care about Stones River Battlefield? When you're at the Avenue backyard. or you're eating at Jonathan's, <laughs> you're in the middle of the fight. The, right. Yeah. Because have you ever caught somebody metal detecting on the uh, battlefield or near it? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Can we it's do that? I kind of want to go. <laughs> no. No, it's oh, a, Jim, that's a federal darn it, offense. You're ruining my fun. I was just going to say, we don't have a, much of a sense of humor about metal detectors. Okay, I was just playing. <laughs> but they found a sword over, like where Trust Point is. Supposedly, I heard there was a saber or the end of a saber that. It's well, right there at Van yeah, Cleve that was Lane. Actually, uh, Van uh, Cleve. That was an investigation that was uh, run. Uh, the point people on that was the Rutherford County Archaeological Society, but we kind of put them together with Trust Point because that's was outside the park's boundary. But and we've done some work with MTSU and yeah, yep. and stuff. They did some work around the the Harding House where the all the condos and the goat and everything are right. down there. Uh, before they did all that, actually found the they actually found the foundations of the original Harding House. They found uh, it yeah. over there by the goat. Yeah, it's gone now. Uh -huh. I mean, it's all so been bulldozed. Where you're eating a salad, there was the Harding House. There was yeah. the Harding House. Not too far away from there, actually. But um, And, you know, doing archaeology in those areas that are being developed, if we can get out there ahead of time, has, has you know, not only just given us stuff, but when you look at where it where the stuff is found and then you know couple it with the historic record you can actually help tighten your understanding a little bit of the, the story of the battle did you know uh dr uh i think it was ray miller had the log cabin that was next door 
It was next yeah. door to mm-hmm. that cut yeah. through. If you're from Murfreesboro, y'all, y'all will know what I'm talking about. When you're coming down old Nashville Highway and you want to cut through, you you would cut through on Van Cleve Lane to yeah, get to before, Wilkinson Pike. Before Thompson was where all open, those tree, yeah. all those mm-hmm. uh, pines are. I mean cedars because there's a lot of cedar glade there at the at the at the uh, battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, I mean, I can remember that log house. He actually, I think, sold out. To the battlefield or the yeah, government it was had, actually a claim it was actually a complaint of condemnation but uh yeah ultimately the land was getting condemned and well yeah he still got several million dollars from it but i mean it wasn't uh, but it was it was it was not a mutually agreed upon sale ultimately um i came in the very last thr- I, when i first arrived we were in the very last throes of that process but uh let me ask you this i remember uh catching his dogs every once in a while because they get free and they'd run to the visitors and they'd have to bring them back to hey, his how house. You doing? Oh how God. you doing? <laughs> but that, the, let's go back to the slaughter pen. What Was it the Union? They were pinned down. It's nothing but rocks. Yeah, but at first that's not a bad thing because you can hide behind the rocks right. when the enemy's ding, attacking ding. you. But then when finally, you know, part of the force, particularly Sheridan's division, which had been so heavily engaged for most of the morning, gave way, the guys that are the left behind find that running through the rocks is not nearly as cool as as hiding behind them and you know it costs them time and and casualties but you know although again although the you know the union soldiers there will ultimately have to retreat i often say that th- that is where the battle of stones river starts becoming a union victory because that delay of a huge chunk of the confederate army gives rosecrans the time to build a whole new line of defense along the nashville pike and when the Confederates emerge from the tree lines that are kind of near our visitor center, those fields, you know, that are along yeah. the Nashville Pike, and try to make that last long, you know, move to to reach the road, which would be literally cutting the Union Army's jugular vein, um, they can't do it. I right. mean, the Union has massed artillery up on the rise of ground where the cemetery and the railroad sit today. McFadden uh, Ford, they had a lot of cannons. Well, that'll be later 60? on January 2nd. But, yeah, there was about 38 cannons wow. massed along the Nashville Pike and the Confederates can't get any of their guns through those woods and rocks so it's Confederate infantry against Union infantry and artillery and try as they might the Confederates can't deal the death blow which you know basically lets the Union Army live to fight another day and as you mentioned after a day of rest and reorganization the Confederates will launch another attack along the east bank of the Stones River, basically from from the Stones River Country Club building, which is on what we call Wayne's Hill, Hill where, right? where the driving range and is. And they go up like the ninth and tenth fairways, and <laughs> but they you know they attack you know and drive Union forces off of another hill, which is actually higher than Wayne's Hill. Right, um, that's all subdivision now. It's ri- Riverview. Yeah, it's Riverview. Um, and then begin pursuing the Union forces down to the river, but. While that's going on, they get hammered by 57 Union cannons, losing about just like thunder, 100 men in 45 minutes, and that brings the battle to a close. Ultimately, the Confederates will withdraw from the battlefield, leaving the Union Army the last man standing, and therefore the victor. Right. Okay. We have another question on Facebook from our friend Chip Walters. Hey, Chip, Chip. What's up? Okay. He says, over the years, I've heard that numerous houses in Murfreesboro were used as hospitals for one side or the other during the battle. Any idea how many homes were actually used as hospitals or is that all of them? <laughs> history of these homes that predate the war? Um, no, actually there are quite a few. Um, I don't know the exact number because 
But, you know, just if you look on, like, the map on our park brochure, it shows several house sites, sadly. I mean, in my 24 years here, I have watched several houses that have served as field hospitals or headquarters be bulldozed over right. the years. Really? Uh, yeah, Unfortunate. The James, uh, the, the James House, which is where the, the, the you know, when basically covered by parking lot for the, the hospital now. Um, Jenkins House. The Jenkins House. It disappeared. Was that the Honda dealership? Was that the Jenkins House? I guess house? that. Yeah. Well, actually, the, the, the you know, funny thing is, the site of the Jenkins House is still empty land. They tore that house down, and, and there's, there's still nothing, nothing there. Where is there. that? Uh, right across from the Honda dealership. Okay. Um, but anyway, um, you know, any house of size, you know, that had some room and it would, you know, would be taken, you know, for maybe a headquarters or and or a hospital out in the county and i do believe um that there were several homes here in murfreesboro itself that was used by the confederates as hospitals um there is no true listing or accounting where we can just kind of you know tap and count them all up but dozens without breaking the sweat um right. uh springfield was springfield uh i've I've, I've visited there mm -hmm. there's uh, didn't you try to get me to go there once bill yeah it's a uh it's i did a, a live they were i was nice they let me uh, do a live feed from out there and there's still blood in the floor of from the battle of murfreesboro mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but but tell us this most soldiers didn't die from the battle tell us what no i mean in our what did they die from disease getting sick diarrhea um, in, in the National Cemetery, two-thirds of the soldiers buried there, um, basically the battle dead are in the little sections that surround the flagpole. All the other sections of the cemetery, the vast majority of those soldiers simply got sick and died. So I, I often tell folks, I mean, camp is way more dangerous to a soldier in the Civil War than a battlefield ever could be. Dysentery, you name yeah, it. Measles, Call mumps, it. smallpox. I mean, you know, every communicable, you know, here we, you know here we are praying we're coming out of a pandemic but i mean army camps are like mini pandemics all day long just all week blood, long, all month because somebody gets sick and they're all together drilling together working together eating together not washing very well because back then they don't have a whole lot of understanding about germ you know germs and bacteria and things like that and I mean, stuff just passes through the camp one wave after the other. I mean, right. I mean, after the Battle of Stones River, there was a breakout of typhoid fever that in the Union Army that killed more men in three months than the Battle of Stones River. Wow. So that... I mean, we got more guys that died in March and April of 1863 than died in December, January, 62, 63. What was the... Jim, we were talking about this earlier. Pronounce his name. Grace Garishay. Garishay was a Union... Yep. Yeah. Julius Garrochet was the, the adjutant general of the Union Army, basically Rosecrans's chief aide. And a cannonball from Wayne's Hill. Wayne's Hill. The Confederate mm -hmm. shot a cannonball, and it decapitated him right there by the railroad. Mm -hmm. And his horse, like, rode off. And when I was a kid, I just remember there used to be a sign there that said, so-and-so fell here. He said Garrochet fell, fell here, which, here. and that's my fault it's not there anymore because we, we don't gotta, actually we gotta know get that, that he word. died there. We uh, don't know for sure. Yeah somewhere there but and here's the thing it decapitated him but this is where history just always wows you because the reason the confederates took a shot is not because they had something against poor lieutenant colonel garrochet garrochet is there because rosecrans is there so rosecrans is there with his staff 
right. Thomas is there with his staff. Crittenden is there with his staff. There's this huge gaggle of mounted men, which means officers. And those Confederate cannoneers say, let's take a shot at them. It was a shell. It was supposed to explode in the air. And it, it just, if it did not explode, if but it was a Confederate shell, and they weren't very lives, good at making it? fuses. So the fuse failed. If that had exploded, it might have actually Healed taken off. out Rosecrans, Thomas, and Crittenden, leaving the commander of the right wing, who had been run off the field, Alexander McDowell McCook, in charge of the Union Army. And wow. who knows what the story would have been then. Instead, it fails to explode and becomes the most spectacular sniper shot of the Battle of Stone. Were there snipers at at the Battle of Stone? Not too many. I mean, there are sharpshooters, but I mean, in the middle of a big pitch battle like this, um, it's mostly lines of men going at one another. So January 1st of uh, 63, they rest. Yep. Okay. I like to say, you know, one side couldn't fight because it was a federal holiday. Lick their wounds. (laughs) They lick their wounds. They're, They're like... You know, resupplied, reorganized. I mean, buried some of the dead, took care of the wounded. They actually declared the truce on January 1st, and the men went out in between the lines and gathered up fellas. Um, you know, it kind of stinks for the guys that are left way behind the Confederate lines. I mean, we've got a display in our museum about Ed Abbott, who had his leg broken by a Confederate mini ball while he was at his cannon and will lie on the battlefield for nine days until help comes. Wow. Because he go, you know, because Confederates pass right over the top of him. By the time right. the day is over on the thirty-first, he's a mile behind con- enemy lines. Wow! Um, so until the battle's over, his boys can't come out and find him again. And the cannon at at Wayne's Hill, how many were there? And why couldn't they reach Mac, well, McFadden's Ford, where where the Union were lined up? Well. They could reach McFadden's Ford from Wayne's Hill during the 31st, though. There was just like there wasn't much reason to to shoot there because the fighting was hitting the railroad was probably the extent of what they could see because the railroad was raised up some. So you they wouldn't have been able to see much beyond beyond that. Um, so but the reason why the hill that the Union occupies on January 2nd is so important is it's slightly in a different position is higher and cannons from there would have actually been able to rip down the confederate lines like you're talking about right from wayne's hill and that's why bragg orders the attack on january 2nd all right well i think it is time for us to go to our break jim this is amazing we're gonna go to break we'll be right back enjoy acoustic guitars stop by the showroom at the gallagher guitar company on walnut street in murfreesboro tennessee we are open to the public every saturday from 10 until 2 and at other times by appointment we also offer educational tours of the guitar building process and be sure to check out our live music venue why go to nashville when you can hear live music in downtown murfreesboro look us up at gallagherguitar.com
Grand Slam Collectibles is your place in Murfreesboro to buy, sell, and trade sports cards, collectibles, and memorabilia. Head on over to their website only at GrandSlam.com. They're located at 1254 Northwest Broad Street. You can also reach them by phone at 615-809-2362 or become one of their over 30,000 followers on Facebook at Grand Slam Collectibles 615. Is your home experienced storm damage or do you just need a remodel? Oakstone Builders LLC is your answer. They also build custom homes. You can find them at 3173 South Church Street here in Murfreesboro or call 931-488-5967. That's 931-488-5967. Regal Tile provides professional closing services with their decades of experience in all types of real estate transactions. They can adapt to any situation and handle it with ease. They will be responsible for safeguarding and properly distributing all transaction funds and documents. When it comes to property rights, Regal Tile will provide peace of mind that every customer deserves. You can find them at 316 West Main Street here in Murfreesboro or online at regaltitlellc.com or by phone at 615-295-8042. Hey, it's Bill. Did you know I also sell for Parks Real Estate? Meredith Thomas and I make up the Thomas Wilson team. We have over 25 years of real estate experience and have helped nearly 1,000 families buy and sell real estate here in Murfreesboro, Rutherford County, and Middle Tennessee. Why not choose us to help you and your family with all your real estate needs? Give us a call at 615-406-5872 or 615-896-4040. You can follow me at Mr. Murfreesboro on Facebook or Instagram. Thank you for joining us, Michael Lynn White, Bill Wilson here on the Mr. Murfreesboro Show with our guest, Jim Lewis. Jim, my head is spinning with all this knowledge. I don't even know what's going on. But we do have another question, and we appreciate y'all sending us your questions on Facebook. It's super fun for me. So, Vernon Ruttenberg, excuse me if I don't pronounce all these names properly, but wants to know, was Nashville declared off limits due to a syphilis outbreak? So Nashville, the city, was not in and of itself declared off limits because of an outbreak of syphilis. But I think what you may be thinking of, I know, I know, and I don't know all the dates and stuff, but I, I, I have read about uh, at some point they were they were trying to relocate some uh, some camp followers, as they would call them, uh, prostitutes, right, uh, <laughs> to infest the troops that right? that may in fact have had you know some some infections. Uh, and they were not allowed to offload in Nashville because of that. So I for see. them, Nashville was declared off limits, but not, I mean, again, disease ran rampant through Nashville day in, day out with thousands of Union soldiers there. Um, you know, so, I mean, you you almost can't close one of the most important strategic cities of, of the entire Civil War simply because of disease. Right. And that's what I find so interesting about a lot of this. Whenever I learn about history or something like that, I love to know the what happens afterwards, like with the residents or like that, with mm -hmm. all these guys coming in, you know, how it affects it's not people. just the battle, yeah. how it affects these people. Yeah. And think about it. I mean, we talk about, you know, when this is over, there's 24,000 casualties, almost 3,000 dead. 
How did that rank? How did it rank seventh, seventh or eighth, depending on how you play it? But I mean, you know, in the top ten, I mean, it's an awful battle. And I say it's number one in percentage of casualties. Explain that percentage. Well, thirty percent of both armies are, are casualties and killed, wounded, or captured, which is the highest rate of casualties for any two armies fighting. Period. During the Civil during War. During the Civil War. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you're playing the odds in Vegas, this is not the battle you want to end up at. Right. Because um, you stand a one in three chance of going down. But, you know, think about every one of those young men has a mother, mm-hmm. father, wife, children, friends. I mean, the Battle of Stones River doesn't affect 81,000 people. It affects literally millions of people. Right. Um, because of the stories that just radiate out of what happens there in fact we do we just started doing our summer daily talks and and our our the programs and the talk that we do every day um at 11 on weekdays and at one o'clock on weekends usually is focusing on an individual whether it be a soldier or a civilian um to try to bring that human story out because it is important um we got to you know it's they're not just red and blue lines on the map Right. Um, Tell us more about that. Tell people about these summer programs. Yeah, because you all got something coming up soon. I think. Yeah, we, yeah, we're actually going to be doing living history again. Uh, so Yay! A good sign. Uh, there will be some limitations. We have, but um, we have four cannons going to be hitting the field because uh, artillery plays a huge role in the Civil War. So we demonstrate that a lot in our living history programs. But. Uh, we are going to be limiting the group sizes, so we're, we're requiring reservations, and they're available through our Facebook page and our Eventbrite. And we're about halfway home, actually, already of people signing up. That's awesome. Um, but we, you know, we want to still give people a chance to distance and all that. But uh, so we'll be doing that this weekend, the 12th and 13th. But um, um, week um, weekdays throughout the summer into mid-August, we'll be doing talks at 11, 30-minute talks, and tours of the battlefield will be daily. Uh, you know, except for when we're doing special programs. What about the Lantern too. Tour? In, uh, Lantern Halloween. Tour is still a non-starter okay. with the requirements uh, for, you know, we're still, CDC still recommends social distancing. And in Hallow Ground, we tell people to get really close together for an hour. Right. So right now, the Hallow Ground Lantern program is 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 not going to happen until we get a change in guidance or policy let, let, let let's get back to the bag i know we're mm-hmm. about to run out of time but january 2nd's the last day mm-hmm. and really to sum it up the union uses artillery to drive the again back. basically yeah because artillery cannons. stood its ground on the 31st and stopped the confederates and then on january 2nd when breckenridge launches his attack which actually takes the hill uh that he wants to get but when they continue forward they get hammered by Union artillery, and you know, you know, eighteen hundred men in forty-five minutes go down, which is, you know, ultimately one of the most devastating action artillery actions of the Civil War. And once that is all said and done, Braxton Bragg kind of looks at the situation and says, "That's it. We're done. We've done everything we can." He's going to pull back towards the Elk and the Duck River along the Highland Towards Rim. Columbian. Uh, well, towards uh, Tullahoma, Shelbyville. That's where the new line's going to be, um, which will, you know, and the Union Army moves into Murfreesboro on January 5th and, you know, declares what Lincoln would call later a hard-earned victory, which it certainly was. I mean, 
the union guys aren't beating their chest saying, woo we won. I mean, they're like, how, you know. But couldn't you say this was mm-hmm. the beginning of the end? It uh, is. Cause, because it goes from here to the Tullahoma well, campaign. from here, three months. Yeah, once the Tullahoma campaign starts at the end of June, Chattanooga falls in September. And it's really hard to see a way for the Confe- and a way out for the Confederates once they lose Chattanooga. On to Atlanta. And from there to Atlanta, then from Atlanta to Savannah and the sea, and then from there up into the Carolinas. It's the Western armies that win the war, ultimately, for the Union. Right. In all deference to my friends in the Eastern Theater, if anybody mm-hmm. can hear hear this radio station out there. Um, you know, too bad, so sad. The West is where the war is won. And how are y'all funded? Is it totally the federal government? Tell me how the battlefield is funded. Uh, we're, we're mainly totally. funded from the federal budget. I mean, we get our you know we get a budget to pay our people and do right. all that stuff. I mean, we do have a friends a friends of Stones River National Battlefield, which is a philanthropic partner with us. Uh, so you know, pe- through memberships and donations, people also support part programs that way. Uh, Eastern National is a cooperating association that helps us as well. They run our bookstore and a right. percentage of Y'all sales do a great there. Job actually support park programs and operations as well and if somebody has artifacts they want to donate like i had the i have a original newspaper mm-hmm. the battle of murfreesboro yeah. i think y'all have a copy of it right just see you they should reach out to me through email or phone or see us i mean there is a process that we do so we can't just take stuff from people we do actually review things to make sure they fit within the scope of our collection before we you know make them apart but we're always interested in adding to the story for what sure. do y'all need right now right. are y'all in need of anything as far as if anything diary I, for me the know. favorite thing is 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 primary sor- sources like you know diaries photos letters things like that because again that fleshes out yes that, that's their thoughts their feelings it's them as people trying to communicate with other people you that's know that's what i find fascinating okay well Thank you, Jim. Jim. Thank you so much. This has just been so fun. You're number one, Jim. You are number one. And it was (laughs) great to learn about the Battle of Murfreesboro. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for watching on Facebook Live. I'm Michael Lynn White, Bill Wilson. And next week, we've got an exciting show for you with... We've got Dear Murfreesboro. If you're a big uh, social media person on Instagram, there's a huge following. They're up and coming. I don't know who they are. But I've been We're told gonna find out. they're going to go by the name Hardy Murphy and Newton Cannon. And let me give a shout out to Gallagher Guitars, Oakstone Builders, Grand Slam Collectibles, and Regal Title. Thanks for the continued support. Michael Lynn. so excited. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our listeners and our friends in town and at WGNS Radio. Michael and White, Bill Milson, Mr. Murphy's Barrel Show. Thank you for watching. See you next week. Thank you. Gallagher Guitar Company has been building guitars since 1965. Today we build some of the finest guitars in the world on Walnut Street right here in downtown Murfreesboro. We provide educational tours on Saturdays or at other times by appointment. Whether an individual or as a family, you're sure to find it interesting. Call us at 615-801-8043 or visit our website at gallagherguitar.com.
Grand Slam Collectibles is your place in Murfreesboro to buy, sell, and trade sports cards, collectibles, and memorabilia. Head over to their website only at GrandSlam.com. They're located at 1254 Northwest Broad Street. You can also reach them by phone at 615-809-2362 or become one of their over 30,000 followers on Facebook at Grand Slam Collectibles 615. Has your home experienced storm damage or do you just need a remodel? Oakstone Builders LLC is your answer. They also build custom homes. You can find them at 3173 South Church Street here in Murfreesboro or call 931-488-5967. That's 931-488-5967. Regal Tile provides professional closing services with their decades of experience in all types of real estate transactions. They can adapt to any situation and handle it with ease. They will be responsible for safeguarding and properly distributing all transaction funds and documents. When it comes to property rights, Regal Tile will provide peace of mind that every customer deserves. You can find them at 316 West Main Street here in Murfreesboro or online at regaltitlellc.com or by phone at 615-295-8042. Hey, it's Bill. Did you know I also sell for Parks Real Estate? Meredith Thomas and I make up the Thomas Wilson team. We have over 25 years of real estate experience and have helped nearly 1,000 families buy and sell real estate here in Murfreesboro, Rutherford County, and Middle Tennessee. Why not choose us to help you and your family with all your real estate needs? Give us a call at 615-406-5872 or 615-896-4040 or you can follow me at Mr. Murfreesboro on Facebook or Instagram. 